Welcome to Podcaster News Show, episode number 31. This is the podcast where we go over some of the news items in the podcast world that have come in over the last couple of weeks that weren't quite enough on their own for us to really write them up over at podcasternews.com. My name is Sean Thorpe, and I am joined by... I am Jen Thorpe. And our first couple of items today actually go together. And when this news broke, I really grappled with how to cover it on Podcaster News because it would have been easy enough to just link to the source material and it would have been easy enough to, I don't know, just write up uh, my own commentary on it because it seemed like so many people were talking about it. Regardless, there were these uh, two, I'll just call them articles for lack of a better explanation. One was on New York Times, and it was written by John Herman. It was titled, Podcasts Surge, But Producers Fear Apple Isn't Listening. And the other one is written by Marco Arment, and it's titled, Apple's Actual Role in Podcasting, Be Careful What You Wish For. And I would strongly urge you, if you're listening to this and you haven't yet read these articles or you don't feel like you're familiar with them, pause the recording and go read them and then come back because I think it will give you some uh, good insight on the commentary here. But the summary of the situation is that the New York Times article, which came first, is talking about this uh, meeting that Apple had with, as I think they referred to in the article, you know, top podcasters in California. And the idea was that this group of employees from Apple was going to take feedback from these uh, podcast producers on what they feel is not good about iTunes and Apple's podcasting ecosystem, as it were. And the big things that came out, no surprise, is that the producers that Apple talked to would very much like to get more information on the people that consume their podcasts through Apple's system. And there were a number of other complaints Chief among them, things like they feel that there's not very good sharing tools built into iTunes, say to social media sites, etc. Yeah, there was something they, in there about having to click a few times to, right. to share it out from, from iTunes. And another concern that was voiced by these podcasters is that they really only have one contact person at iTunes and that they don't really have a great platform for promotion they have to go through this one person and if he decides that he wants to say feature that producer's show then it's pretty much up to him yeah and there's um i think the paragraph you're looking for in the new york times it said that um there's the one person is someone named Mr. Wilson who yeah, I didn't catch the his, first name of. His name is Steve Wilson. Steve Wilson. Yeah. Okay, so that you know he's the one that oversees all that you know like uh, top you know top top of iTunes kind of thing, right? And 
that's who they had to contact. There's only him. The New York Times said that they asked Mr. Wilson, you know, directly for an interview, and he uh, pushed that request over to a comp- company publicist who is not named, and that company publicist uh, declined to make him available for an interview. So that's yeah. you know, that can show you right there. Like they could say no to the New York Times. What chance do you have as a podcaster? You know, especially a new one. It's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this is, um, I guess, something that was going to happen eventually. And what is kind of funny maybe to consider with their complaints is, you know, these are in some cases established companies. I'm assuming since we don't actually know who is there, but we can probably guess on at least some of the attendees. And, you know, the way that big companies do things is they put in a lot of money to try and gain influence, exposure, what have you. And because Apple is currently the richest company that's ever existed, they don't really need to take what could be described as lobbyist money. <laughs> to, well, yeah, that's a good way to, to explain it. Uh, I think we all understand how that works. Yeah, you know? to, to get you know, shows uh, exposed or, you know, featured or whatever in iTunes. And the other side of this, which really dovetails well with what Marco Arment has written, is the fact that there really isn't any big demographic or other data that comes out of iTunes. In fact, for the most part, Apple doesn't give out much information at all to anyone who runs a podcast through the iTunes store. It's my understanding that they do have a dashboard that some people can access that shows some very basic statistics, but for the most part, that kind of targeted information that these big companies want because they want to be able to essentially add more value for their advertisers, meaning that they can charge them more. And, of course, they've had a certain amount of that traditionally with other uh, mediums uh, like radio, TV, uh, print ads, what have you. And podcasting just doesn't really have that. Now, obviously, there are stats systems out there that can tell you things about who's uh, listening to your shows, say, through iTunes or an Android app or what platform they're on. But the information kind of stops there. And it's not like you're getting it, you know, you can't tell, like if you're one of these big, we're assuming big podcasters that met with them or whatever, and you have a lot of money to put into your shows and this is your business and you want more stats so you can tell the people that are going to buy ads on your show, you know, hey, this is why we can charge you this this much money. I think the thing is, you know, what they want is to have something that came directly from Apple that they can show them and say, look, Apple says this this is how many people listen and this is where they they live and that kind of thing. So they'd influence an ad buyer maybe to spend a little more. And Apple's not giving them that. Right. So that was kind of their complaints about things. And then going over to what Marco Arment wrote in his response. And for those that don't know, Marco is a software developer and a longtime podcaster. He's known, I guess, uh, somewhat widespread for more or less designing Tumblr. So if you've ever used Tumblr, uh, you're using, you know, software that Marco was the original developer on when uh, Tumblr was bought out by Yahoo, I'm pretty sure, 
Marco uh, took the money and, and ran. Which makes sense. And now uh, podcasters probably recognize him as the developer of the Overcast podcast app for iOS. And he had a pretty good response to the New York Times piece. And I really like some of the things that he says. The points that he has that to me are the most critical are kind of what I've always liked about podcasting because it's different as a medium from a lot of the other mediums, I guess, that we could say were born of the internet. So if you think about blogging or Mm -hmm. if you think of online video and we include podcast in that list, those other two mediums have been in different ways very what I like to call siloed, where if you want to start a blog, you can certainly launch your own website, uh, roll your own CMS to to publish for you. But there have always been these attempts to try to create these blogging silos. WordPress.com is one, Blogger is one, Tumblr is Tumblr one. Tumblr could be one, yeah. Where mm-hmm. you're not so much concerned about, I'm going to create this content, put it on my own website. I mean, you technically own the blog that you make up to a point, and you can do whatever you want with it. It's not like there's somebody standing over you at the uh, platform in question and telling you you can't publish this or that up to a point. But part of that is just putting all of your content into someone else's silo. And when we think of online video, well, that's pretty much the biggest example because YouTube right. has just dominated. I mean, It has. And that's where you go if you want to be a vlogger. Yeah. You know, that's where your stuff needs to be in order to get a big audience. And of course... Uh, if you're if you're doing anything involved with video games lately, it seems to be like you know if you if your uh, vlog is uh, discussing something about Nintendo, Nintendo's known for telling YouTube no 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 take that down yeah and they will so there goes your thing and I think this can happen with uh, video games if you're streaming a video game and you put a video of it onto YouTube. Somebody that feels they own the music can ask, you know, to have it taken down. And it, it's kind of like you don't know for sure that what you put there is going to stay there. So you better have it somewhere right. else as well. And a lot of people, I think, if they're if they're doing video, they figure, well, it's on YouTube. It's fine. Until yeah. they get a takedown. Right. You know, um, but yeah, it, yeah it's it's all like very much if you if that's your gig, you want to be a vlogger, you pretty much have to be on YouTube. Right. And Marco has a list here about how podcasts still work like, as he's described it, old school blogs. And he's talking about how a podcast can be hosted anywhere and it can be completely controlled by its producer, which is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are services that you can use that'll do a lot of that uh, technical legwork for you. And depending on how they're set up, you may lose some of that control. But if you want to sacrifice that for convenience, you can get it. It's kind and- of, you know, whatever works for you. You know, yeah, and and that's and I, I can see benefits and problems with both. Like if you're putting all your stuff on somebody else's thing, well, then you have an issue like with YouTube. You know, it could disappear. Or we've yeah. had uh, there was a podcasting uh, site like that a while back that one day just up and dropped everyone, and nobody had time to get their content off right. of it. We yeah. all know who that is, and. Um, <laughs> You know, yeah, that kind of thing Um, that could happen. But also if you're a brand new podcaster, you know, you're you're 20 or you're 15 and you've just decided, oh, hey, podcast, that's what I want to do. Maybe you don't want to take the time to learn everything first. You know, 
You just yeah. want to jump in there and hey, maybe 10 episodes and you're done and you don't care anymore. So why put in all the you know investment? But if your show grows and you like it and you keep doing it, then you got to worry about content. So it all kind of rolls back around, you know? Yeah. The the way that I guess Marco is is approaching this is he's sort of looking at it from the perspective of that for right now, podcasts still very much operate in the spirit of the original open web. And they're, for the most part, decentralized. Now, Apple has become, kind of by default, the biggest player in terms of a distribution platform that podcasting has seen. But they are not the only distribution platform. And right. they don't do anything that is exclusive to them by their own demand. So it isn't like if I decide to create a show and I want to distribute it through iTunes, Apple can come to me and say, okay, well, you can only have that here. It can't live on your own website. It can't be sent to yeah, Stitcher Apple or Google Play or anything like that. It doesn't have an interest in doing that, at least right, right now, you know, um, because why would they? I think it'd be more work for Apple to track down than you know, anything else. And they're getting content for free, you know, and right. they're getting they're hosting the content over there for people to download for free. And in the meantime, while they're already on iTunes, maybe they'll find some stuff they want to buy. You know, Apple's got no reason to start saying you could only have it here and not on anything else. You right. Know? And the other thing that I liked from Marco's article is that he goes into the section about what these quote unquote big podcasters are asking for. And this is where he really gets into talking about how podcasting is still mostly open and that it hasn't been ruined, which is pretty much his terminology, like the internet has at large where there's all these companies that are trying to track you to death mm -hmm. in order to serve you ads right. and all this other stuff. And so far, that really hasn't happened with podcasts. For the most part, you download your media file directly from the uh, producer how, in whatever system they use to distribute it. And, you know, that's about it. They're going to they'll, – they'll have the capacity to get some basic information on you, but once that file is on your device – for the most part, it's over. They don't really know what you do after right. that. Right. They and don't know if you listen to the whole thing or right. any of it. You know, they don't know if you listen to two seconds and deleted it. They have no idea if they put an ad in there. If you've heard it, you know, um, there's no way to track that kind of thing. Yeah. Right now, I figure somebody out there wants that, and they're probably the people selling the advertising. But um, yeah. you know, that's that's probably who wants that. I don't think there's any podcaster out there that specifically wants to know, did they hear the ad? You know, right. <laughs> I don't think that's their primary motivation. No, it's not. And this is where, you know, this whole thing comes in about, you know, these companies have all this money and they want to be able to use it to essentially get their way. And they're seeing now that there is an actual market for podcasting, even though for the most part over the last 11 years, uh, 12 years almost, They've kind of ignored it. They're seeing there's a market for it now. And what they want to do, because this is what, how they know how to do things, they want to change it so that it operates like everything else that they already have a certain level of mastery on. But anyway, I think we've talked about these two things enough, and I highly recommend 
that uh, you read them if you have not already. So what's the next item on our list, Jen? Okay, so the next item on our list is titled, Where Are Your Podcast Listeners Tuning In? Blueberry has some surprising stats. This is written on the Power Press podcast, which is Blueberry, and it has some surprising stats, as you would expect from Blueberry. They have some good stats, you know. So it kind of goes through and says, you know, there's different uh, pie charts in here that show you you know, different aspects of where people are listening. Like the first one on here is how podcasts are being consumed. Okay. So the options are, you know, tablet browsers, desktop browsers, desktop apps, mobile browsers, and mobile apps. And if you look at the pie chart, the majority of it's coming from mobile apps right Right. now. That's where your podcasts are being consumed. So people are putting their, your podcast on a mobile app and listening to it on their mobile app as they're, you know, walking around doing stuff. Right. Um, so that's where it's coming from. And the smallest portion is coming from tablet browsers. Yeah. Because not many people are putting their, you know, your podcast on their tablet to listen to. It just doesn't seem to be well, where they're going the, with the that. Tablet, the, the tablet is a device. It, it just doesn't have that the kind of form factor where you're going to have it with you all the time. Right. So, I mean, and I think people are using tablets for different things. They're using it to read eBooks. They're using it to play games. They're using it in different stuff uh, to watch video maybe, but not necessarily to listen to a podcast. And uh, the one that's just above uh, tablet browsers in terms of portion of the pie chart is desktop browsers. And I think that's interesting because I do most of my stuff through desktop because I'm yeah, really like behind the times. You, know? the, the, yeah. you know, it's funny how I that do. Stat, that's how I do it. It's funny how that stat has changed over the years because in the early days of podcasting, desktop browsers were actually a, a big piece of the 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 statistics pie. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's still a decent chunk there. There's a decent chunk, but, but like mobile apps are like the biggest yeah. mobile apps yeah. and mobile browsers take up most of the pie. Yeah. Together. And so. they they show you these statistics and uh, then they have a takeaway here. And what I thought was interesting about this first set as far as uh, how podcasts are being consumed and talking about uh, mobile apps versus these different things, uh, the takeaway says, while it's not surprising mobile apps are the most popular standalone method of podcast consumption, don't miss the fact that tablet browsers, mobile web browsers, desktop browsers combined make up a potentially even higher portion of listens so it's one thing to just look at it and go okay well i see this one has more or less than that but sometimes when you combine some of them you realize that actually even though they're technically smaller than the largest one when you combine them they're larger and what i think is that the real takeaway for that is if you are producing a podcast make sure that however you are distributing that whatever system you're using is accessible on all these devices. So right. know, get a mm-hmm. get a smartphone out, get a tablet out, go to your website or wh- whatever is the, you know, primary place where you where your podcast can be, you know, obtained. not yeah. not just about okay, well it works in, you know, uh iOS podcasts, it works in Google Play Music, it works in Stitcher, but if you've got, you know, an actual website or sort of a primary point of presence where you're distributing your podcast, go there with the mobile device and just you know test it out. Make sure that there's a, a player there that will work because I think for the most part, that's not something we need to worry about so much anymore. But uh, Flash players don't really work well, right? if at all, on pretty much any mobile device at this point. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that if you're... Uh, if if your site has a flash player 
that there is at the very least an HTML5 fallback. Personally, I think it should be the other way around, but it's just something to check because you don't want to, to lose that uh, person that says, oh, I, I really want to listen to this podcast, but all I have right now is my mobile browser to to listen to, and, and I can't because this website doesn't support it. So uh, the next stat that they have here is the top mobile applications. And again, this is another one that's probably no surprise. Podcasts for iOS is the highest rated one, 20.2%. And then there's some others here that you might recognize. Pocket Casts, uh, Android Podcast App, uh, Stitcher Radio for iOS, Overcast, Stitcher Radio for Android, Beyond Pod, Downcast. Those are some common names I think people will, will recognize. Right, yeah. But again... The takeaway here, as they say, while podcasts for iOS still reigns, all these other mobile apps add up to an even bigger chunk of listeners. Don't ignore Android apps and pay particular attention to up-and-coming apps with loyal followings like Pocket Casts and Overcast. Uh, Sally, though, since Stitcher was acquired, it has lost 3 to 4% of global market share, according to Blueberry's data. That doesn't mean you should ignore Stitcher. Right, because there's somebody that only uses that one thing. Exactly. You know, and there's more than one somebody that's only using that one app to listen. Like they, they found a podcast app. They're getting the podcast they want to listen to through it. They're using that one to search for new ones. You know, you want to be on there. And this is another reason why, and it's something that I see less and less as time goes on, but at your podcast website or whatever your primary point of presence is, always have a naked link to your podcast RSS feed so that it makes it easy for people to add your show to whatever application they're using. If they're using the iOS app, uh, the podcast app, or if they're using Overcast or Beyond Pod or Downcast, most good podcasting apps that are not sort of re-syndicating slash streaming your shows like Stitcher and Google Play Music should allow you to just drop in a valid podcast RSS feed and be subscribed. And a lot of people seem to ignore that now because they figure, oh, well, everybody just goes to iTunes. Yeah, I think that's the common thought. And that's why you have so many people selling services saying, oh, give us money and we'll put you at the top of iTunes, you know? Yeah. And because there's a lot of people that believe that, well, that's the only place people are getting their podcasts from, so I have to be on it. And we've already kind of had the discussion about the rest of it before in other shows. But, um, yeah, it's there's a lot. But, yeah, iTunes is far and away on its own. It got a lot more, you know. Well, I don't, I'm not going to go through every chart on here. Right, But right. I think this last one still kind of hits home why Apple is still the 900-pound gorilla in podcasting's room. They have clients by platform here. And they've broken it down simply to Apple, so that includes everything uh, Mac, iOS, that Apple everything makes, Apple. Uh, probably mm-hmm. Watch OS as well, Android, and then all others. And uh, Apple's entire ecosphere has 65% of all of the downloads that uh, you know Blueberry tracked. And that's kind of a that's almost like a stifling number. I mean, it's almost two thirds of all the podcasts are being consumed one way or another through, you know, uh, an Apple application. And um, they have the breakdown here of all the different things they've tracked to come up with those numbers. And we don't need to go over those, but 
it does show you, you know, why people are going to Apple to say, hey, we're big well, podcasters. This is what we want. Because, yeah. you know, Apple has a big influence. Right. There's no doubt about that. But that doesn't mean you should only put your stuff on iTunes and ignore everything yeah, else. You exactly. Know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I do want to say, just in the interest of disclosure, I do work uh, in a very part-time capacity with the Blueberry support team. And uh, I just always like to mention that when I contribute anything to Podcaster News. So uh, what's the next item on our list, Jen? Okay, so the next one is an interesting title. It says, uh, is the name podcasting hurting the medium's growth? And this was written by Seth Ressler at Jacobs Media Strategy. And so basically, uh, he was hearing that, you know, some people think that the word podcasting is preventing the medium from reaching its full potential. And other people think that's just silly. And so he asked a bunch of people that are pretty well known in podcasting, you know, uh, to respond to this statement. The name podcasting is holding the medium back and ought to be changed. That was the statement he gave them. And a whole bunch of people responded as to what they thought and um, whether or not, you know, you should continue to call your podcast a podcast or if you should go with something else. And I think part of the argument seems to be uh, that there's this concept of calling it on-demand audio instead of a podcast, which, you know, he didn't put in that question, but a lot of people, you know, brought that up in their answer. Um, and the sort of the pros and cons of, of that, you know, on demand audio. And, you know, I think we all have our opinions about this, but there's uh, quite a few well-known podcasters in this list that have responded and you can check them all out as you go. But overall people are like, no podcast, the name podcast is not hurting the medium, yeah. you know? And just to give a quick rundown here, you know, there's, uh, Daniel J. Lewis is in here, David Jackson, Rob Greenlee. Todd Cochran, uh, my old buddy Norm Pattis from Podcast One, uh, Mignon Fogarty is here, and uh, you know a lot of other people. And so uh, Seth has roughly 10, maybe 12 responses here from certain uh, luminaries in the biz. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, as Jen said, they all say podcast is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I think maybe two to three of them had any disagreement with that. The big one, of course, is uh, Tom Webster from Edison Research. He Every year he goes on a campaign to talk about why uh, the name podcast is bad for the medium. And I don't know uh, about you, but I don't really think I want to refer to myself as an audio on demander. <laughs> it just doesn't have... It sounds like you're, <laughs> you know binge watching netflix you know <laughs> or something or listening or listening i mean like something. something like that you're binge podcast listening or yeah something. it sounds it's, more it's like weird. a condition well it sounds like you're more of a consumer of podcasts than a creator that's true as well you know it where though if you say i'm a podcaster or i do podcasting you know um that sounds like you're you're you know creating something it's it's a yeah. different way of looking at it but i think the uh the most succinct response came from mignon fogarty who's grammar girl right yeah she said i don't think any of these people are being held back because they call their show a podcast <laughs> and i yes. think that's a great response and well it's it's certainly proven true for her yes she's been on oprah yeah she's no, well known they didn't yeah i mean they didn't go ah well uh, we'd love to have you on mignon but you do a you do this thing called a podcast and we don't think anybody knows what that is or no i mean or, people are starting to know more, what that is yeah or more you know more specifically 
we don't like the word podcast, so we're not going to have you on. <laughs> or we're going to have you on, but we're going to call it on-demand audio. You know, yeah, I mean, whatever. Nobody does whatever. that. You know, she's the only woman that was asked uh, this question. Yeah, I thought that was was kind of weak. Yeah, but. well, this tends to happen though when you have anything going on with tech or with gaming or stuff like that. If somebody wants to just grab a panel of people that are in the field and say, "What do you think about this?" You frequently see a lot of white dudes. Yeah, and not too many true. women of any, you know, of any background at all, yeah. like whatever, you know, white, black, yeah. whatever, you know, like she's the only woman they asked. Yeah. And she's a good choice. Sure, of course. Where, there's more. I mean, there's more <laughs> of us out there. So where's the rest, you know? Yeah. And I don't see a lot of diversity in the people that have been selected either. Um, you know, it's fine to have the opinions of mostly white dudes, but you need others as well. And uh, if I remember, since we were just talking about Tumblr, there is or was a Tumblr that was keeping track of right, the yeah. people that were put on panels. And mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was something like uh, an all-white male panel. You know, yeah. and so they were people. I think were sending it in, and they were finding things where it was a photo of here is this panel discussion we're having somewhere about something. It wasn't all. It wasn't you know specific to podcasts. It was anything, and they would just you know look at the people who were featured as speakers and just simply look at their you know who are these people? What do they look like? Yes, you've made an all white panel. You've made an all white male panel. You know, yeah. and uh, so I mean it happens a lot, and I don't think people are necessarily doing this because. They're, you know, prejudice against people who are not white or people who are not male. I think it's just something that's happening that people aren't paying attention to and need to kind of look at. So that was, I think, the purpose of the Tumblr thing, since we were talking about Tumblr. And I'm not blaming Seth Ressler for coming up with this group. This is a very accomplished group of people. You know, I'm not saying, oh, you shouldn't have that guy or anything like that. I just, you know, as a woman in podcasting, I look to see where are the women, (laughs) you know, and there's only one here and she's fabulous, but there's more. You know, I just I just want to say, like, try harder, you know, I mean, heck, I used to do the beginning of this show you're listening to right now was me interviewing women in podcasting. They're they're out there. Go find them. I mean, I I don't have like a huge audience. Not very many people know who I am. And, you know, I don't have a team to go and organize those interviews or anything like that. I could do it. Certainly others could. Right. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox now. But okay. Well, thank thank you for uh, for bringing that up. opinion out because i actually thought that when i was reading over that earlier today i'm like well there's only one woman they couldn't have found they couldn't find anyone else i mean come on so the last item on our list is why it's uh, entitled why it's bad that new york is sucking up the podcasting industry and uh this is written by adam raguzia for current Right. And and it says that um, it's an adapted piece from his episode 62 of the Pub's Currents Weekly podcast. Yeah. So it's it's kind of in two places, which is fine. Um, I love the title because it sounds like, you know, New York is like this giant, you know, vacuum cleaner just sucking <laughs> up all the podcasting industry. And there it goes, you know. Well, the gist of his article, and, and I think if you come at this from sort of the perspective that that I did as a very much independent podcast producer, you kind of think this is going to be a hit piece against the bubble, as a lot of us call it, that seems to be happening in New York around podcasting. And it really isn't that so much. Uh, What Adam is talking about here is why it's so difficult to do 
the kind of work that NPR is known for, not just in terms of producing podcasting, but in just journalism in general, why it's so difficult for that to be done anywhere outside of New York City. And he tells a story here about a reporter who, right out of college, was hired to uh, work for uh, NPR's Weekend All Things Considered full-time. And, and that that's pretty impressive, be, you know? Uh, I mean, that's a good place to start, you know, for sure. Yeah, and that would be considered a dream job for a lot of people, whether they were just getting out of college or they'd been, you know, working in that industry for 20 years. And then after three years, she found that she wasn't very happy with working there because she wasn't really able to do much reporting. She was doing a lot more sort of behind the scenes production work, helping other people and all that. Right. She was and, like, you know, putting things together for other people to read. Yeah. And, and she wanted it to. Didn't, it wasn't as satisfying. Yeah. So she left that job to go work for an NPR affiliate in Texas. And she's doing okay there and she seems uh, much happier there. And then uh, he. Well, she's able to tell, like, one of the things in, that she was saying, I think, is that, um, you know, she can go do journalism now as opposed right. to, you know, sort of creating things for other people to read on a podcast. She gets to kind of be involved in, you know, that whole thing, which would, you know, that's kind of what she went to school for, right? So don't you want to do what you went to school for, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, in a way where she has more, like, autonomy over what she's doing and, and the credit she's getting for it, you know? Yeah. is my interpretation of what's written. But, right. um, you know, that kind of thing. And it's she's, it says, uh, you know, he uh, sums it up as saying, she went to a place where people's stories weren't being told and she told them. Yeah. You know? And that's pretty big. And then he follows up with an example um, where he moved kind of a similar sort of situation. Right. Kind of. And uh, we'll leave you to read all the details in there. It's it's good. I mean, it's interesting, but we just don't need to read the whole article right here on the show, you know? Um so it kind of, you know, dawned on him that people don't necessarily have to go to New York right. to be involved in these types of podcasts that are, you know, journalism based and uh, story driven and, you know, this kind of stuff. You know, people could be living wherever and saying, hey, you know, I live here and I'm going to get you the stories from here, you know, and, and I'll put it together and it'll be my voice as opposed to being, you know, only the stories from, say, New York, you know? Right. Well, and it's not just that. It's that, you know, the the way NPR works, they'll take a lot of stories from their member stations and they'll put them on their big magazine shows, like All Things Considered. Right. So there's actually a greater chance now that this one reporter moved to Texas that one of her stories that she reports there may actually wind up on the national show. Right. So... Mm -hmm. It's kind of a weird backwards dichotomy that they have. And one of the things that Adam talks about in here is that it's so stiflingly expensive to live in New York or Boston, where a lot of the NPR infrastructure is based out of, that if you could live, as you, as you pointed out, if you could live anywhere where the cost of living would be much lower, then why can't you just do that? And I have a few reactions to this, and one of them is, you know, at a certain level, this isn't so much a podcasting article as it is kind of an article about, I don't know, larger media companies or, or what have you. I would say that for the most part, podcasters really are producing content from anywhere, and they're all 
having different levels of success as far as making money, monetizing, if they even want to do that. And he's still kind of approaching this from the perspective of he wants to live somewhere where he can afford a house, but he wants to work for a company that's going to pay his bills. And I think this shows another side of what has happened in just journalism and broadcasting and everything in general that those mediums don't have as much money in them as they used to. Right, right. Because things are changing, you know. Right. But also, I kind of feel like, well, I don't know. I don't feel so sorry for you if it's really your desire to live, as in Adam's case, in uh, Macon, Georgia, or some other small market and make a living producing content. And he even says in here that, you know, everything's great for now. If he loses his job, he's not sure what they'll do. But that's everyone. Though. That's, I mean, that's everything. But he's in an area now where. He's probably not going to have as many opportunities open to him immediately like he might have if he was in New York and he lost his job. Right. To, to, but... to that, I say do like the rest of us and uh, go out and get a, a another job to support your thing and produce that yourself and put your heart into it. And, and put if up a it's, Patreon. <laughs> exactly. If it's meant to succeed yeah. – yeah. It'll, you know, the the funding will will get there through Patreon or donations, or, or it, you can, you know, monetize it yourself. I actually think. Well, I think that, though, with that, you know, I'm just going to jump in for a yeah, second before ahead. you move off that point. Um, I think the days of I have found a job in the industry that my degree is in, and because I have that degree and I'm doing well. That I will, ha I can stay with this job until I either find a better one that I like more or pays me more, or until I retire, the job will be there to take care of yeah, me. Those days over. are done. Yeah. Those days have been done for a very long time, and I don't think you can look at podcasting that's you know relatively new in terms of industry, right? Um, and assume that anything you're doing in podcasting is going to sustain you forever on its own. Sure, you know I don't think that's necessarily true for most people that are involved, you know? Um, so there's that, you know, to, to think about as well. And I think this concept that he's saying, um, you know, he says in here, he tells his journalism students, they're probably going to have to move to one of the media capitals at some point to really get their right. careers going. And that feels to me probably true. Sure. But, also kind of feels like not all of the story, you know? Um, yeah. You know, I feel like that's based on this is where the media capitals are and that they're sustainable. Right. And we don't know that. I mean, we've seen like newspapers are having problems because they were doing all of their advertisements through print ads and people are getting things online now, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, we're seeing that with a lot of things. You know, we're seeing it with radio that sort of stuff, you know. So to assume that, you know, oh, you should go and move to one of these very expensive places right after you've gotten out of school and probably have a student loan, I don't know that's the the greatest thing to say. Yeah. You know, especially if he himself has figured out that, well, I'm living, you know, in Georgia and I'm doing okay, maybe some of his journalism students could do that too. Sure. You know, anyway. Well, one <laughs> one final point I have that's at least a little related to this. Historically, podcasting seems to have kind of gone through these bubbles where certain types of, I don't know, shows kind of become more prevalent than others for a little while. 
And I think that we are on the verge of what I would call, for lack of a better term, local podcasting or localized podcasting, where you're going to see more and more people are producing podcasts that focus on the area that they live in now, as opposed to, I'm going to worry about getting my stuff out there so that anyone would care about it regardless of where they live. And that kind of connects to, you know, what he's talking about here. And I think one of the reasons that we're going to see this rise in local related podcasting is if you want to monetize that type of content, pretty much all you have to do is just pull up your local phone directory and start making calls if you want to try to get sponsors. It's a lot easier than if you want to try to get, you know, Squarespace right. on your show where you're probably going to need anywhere between five and 50,000 downloads an episode before they'll even talk to you. Right. And so. I should uh, follow up on here. He does say that he does tell his journalism students that once they once they're established, you know, then they can, you know, kind of say, hey, how about, you know, I work from, you know, Georgia or whatever, you know, yeah. to their established, you know, like he said, BuzzFeed or something like tell right. your editor at BuzzFeed. Oh, hey, we're all mostly talking over Slack. Anyhow, how about if I just move to, you know, pick a state, right? Exactly. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to unintentionally give an incorrect view of how he's telling them things. He's kind of telling them both. But I think, you know, his emphasis is first get that solid job and then move out. You know, yeah. and I think maybe there's room for start somewhere you want to be and can afford and build from there, you know, yeah. but I'm not a journalism teacher. So maybe he knows things I don't. All right. Well, I think we've covered these articles pretty well. As always, we'll have these in the show notes. This is episode 31. You can go to podcasternews.com and find this along with uh, everything else we've done. If you'd like to find me online, you can follow me at Shano, S-H-A-W-N-O on Twitter. And Jen, how about you? I'm at Queen of Haiku, spelled like you think it would be. And it's a it's a locked account, a private account, whatever you want to call it. So if I can figure out that you are someone that listens to the show and you send me a follow request, then of course, you know, I'll let you in. If I don't know who you are, sometimes I'm a little wary, but you know. That's kind of how it goes on Twitter, I guess. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for listening, and we will be back in another two weeks for another Podcaster News show. Bye, people.